John Connors is a actor, writer, director. You'd know from things like Love, Hey, Broken Law and Cardboard Gangsters. He also made an excellent documentary called Endless Sunshine on a Cloudy Day. I asked him to give me his three favourite films for us to discuss and I have to say he gave me a belter of a list. He's an incredibly talented, really nice guy as well, really knows his stuff about kind of all aspects of film history, both you know, in front and behind the camera. And talking to him was hard not to get swept up in just the, the passion and the enthusiasm he has for cinema. And I actually really missed the cinema after having the, the conversation with him. I really, really enjoyed talking to him. So without further ado, here's John Connors with his three favorite movies. So my guest with me now is John Connors, very well-known Irish actor. You'd know from things like Love, Hate, Broken Law. John, as if I wasn't depressed enough there, you've given me a list of three very heavy movies, all great though, <laughs> it must be said. Without giving away your choices, would these be the type of films you'd be more drawn to? Like, based on this list, I can't see you kicking back and watching American Pie or anything like that. They're the ones that stick with me, I suppose. I mean, we all like to switch off the light sometimes and just, you know, watch brain dead shit. And I love comedy as well, don't get me wrong. Like, I'd watch Dumb and Dumber a million times I've watched. It's pro- <laughs> I probably watch that more than any other film, you know what I mean? And same with Step Brothers, uh, Life. The, actually, Life was a was a good balance between drama and comedy, Eddie Murphy and Martin Lawrence. I mean, the ones that really affect me tend to be these sort of films that's on the list. So, without further ado, the first film on your list there is Rage and Bull, the story of Jake LaMotta. What is it about this film that just resonates with you? So, first of all, it's a, it's a boxing film, but obviously, like all great boxing films, they're not boxing films. How it kind of started and how how De Niro brought the book to Scorsese. I mean, these sort of stories that are kind of, I don't know if they're myth or legend or truth, but Scorsese took a, a cocaine overdose. De Niro had been trying to get him to direct Rage and Bull for years, and he couldn't relate to it. He couldn't relate to the boxing and the violence in that sort of way in the ring. And he just, he couldn't, he was looking at it from a literal sense, I suppose, all the time. When he was a kid, he was a kid who had to stay inside all the time and had asthma and all that, so he was never athletic. So he just couldn't relate to this character. And then when he had the cocaine overdose after New York, New York blew up in the wrong way in the box office and lost all the money and critics hated it, he took an overdose. And that's how passionate of a filmmaker he was. He just went off the rails. And De Niro finally brought him the book. And the, at that time, De Niro and him called each other like brothers. And he brought him the book and he said, look, it's not a great book, but I think there's a real story in here. There's a real character here. And finally, he was able to understand um, Jake LaMotta and th- this character, Jake LaMotta, because essentially he was just a character who was eating himself up and destroying himself, this self-destruction, which that's what um, Scorsese could relate to. And then they got a uh, Mardik Martin, they got Sh- Paul Schrader on board to write the screenplay. And Schrader... Well, Schrader apparently did a great job, but then the famous end scene where he's punching the wall, that originally Schrader had him fucking uh, wanking in that scene at the end, which is a, <laughs> it's a typical Paul Schrader move, you know, just always sexualizes shit. And uh, Mardik Martin did a few drafts of it, another great screenwriter. And then I know that De Niro and Scorsese brought it to an island together and did the last draft together and took no credit for it. And that's where they kind of sharpened it up and took out some of the perverted stuff. Uh, and then you just look at the the opening shot, which I think is the greatest opening shot in cinema history. Uh, J- Jake LaMotta in the ring, shadow boxing in slow motion to that beautiful score, that classical song, uh, which is it's, it's just so haunting. That, that, every time I kind of hear that song, I get really emotional because um, it's a song that it kind of it's like it's bringing you on a journey of life and ups and downs. And it's and then you have this opening shot where De Niro's in and he's shadow boxing by himself, which is sort of metaphor a metaphor for 
you know, life and, and the fight against yourself. Uh, and, and that's what happens. And then you have the the opening scene with, uh, with the, the wife uh, cooking the steak. And you see this man has this Madonna whore complex, you know. Uh, if women have sex with them, they're whores. And if they don't, they're angels. So you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. And straight away we're met with his insecurities when Joe Pesci, his brother, comes in who just like, gives an unbelievable performance. Um these, and he starts talking about his small hands and he's never going to fight Joe Lewis, a heavyweight. And Joe Pesci's looking at him like, yeah, what the fuck? Yeah, of course, you're a fucking middleweight. You're never going to fight heavy. You're crazy. <laughs> and, and and then he used to prove to him then that he's able to, by telling him, hit me in the face, hit me in the face, put the thing around you. And he's getting him to hit him. And you're going, what the fuck? This character is just fucking mental. And and I think that's, I, I, I'm drawn to the character as well because I've a, I've a kind of self-destructive side myself. So I can relate to it. And this fella is really, really um, doing a bad job of concealing his shadow. You know what I mean? He's, he, it's always on the surface and it's bubbling. And then I love the way Scorsese used these point of view shots uh, of Jake LaMotta. Uh, and every time there's a point of view shot, it's about the jealousy. It's about all that stuff that's going on, you know. Um, and then again, you see the kind of tenderness of him at the start when he meets the 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 Cathy Moynihan character because he's treating her like she's a you know a little angel and then finally you know when they get married and that you see the shadow comes out again and this man is never really going to be happy and actually man he's one of the most unlikable characters like I know the Nero's Crusade they're, they're the kings of the anti-heroes but really this character is so unlikable although he doesn't kill anybody you know doesn't but he's still just so fucking unlikable because He's never, he's rarely fucking smiling. He's constantly paranoid. He's, you know what I mean? And and yet still, you're kind of still feeling something for him and you want him to succeed. Uh, and then you, when he when he finally wins that uh, the world title and there's that tracking shot from um, the training room and all the way up the stairs and down and it's beautiful and you barely see the fight because it's not about the fight. And you just get a feeling that this is as good as it's going to get for this fella. Like, he's just, that's, it, you know, it's just going to get worse and worse. And then we move forward and we see him and he's at the gain of weight a bit and he's trying to plug in the telly and he, and he starts questioning Pesci. And I think this scene is just an unbelievable scene and a scene of showing his paranoia, but also shows his intuition because there's some truth to what's going on. And Scorsese's constantly using these close-ups between the characters, which I just love. Because you just get let them tell the story. I mean, you have great actors like that. I mean, if you look Pesci and the Nero, two of the greats. I mean, they were that wave of great Italian American actors, which you don't really see anymore, unfortunately, because now it's way more harder to get into acting in America. And the drama school fees are kind of through the roof. Back then, there was different avenues that you could go. You know, um. So yeah, and then you have this haunted score throughout. You have an unbelievable cinematography. It's black and white, which I just love black and white. There doesn't need to be an excuse for being black and white for me. Uh, but uh, but the excuse for them was that looking back at the old tapes of, uh, of Jake LaMotta, they couldn't have captured it without making it black and white. They wanted it to have that old feel and also be different than Rocky Balboa, who had the same producers, uh, Chartoff and Winkler, I think it was. Um, and yeah, you have literally one of the greatest performances of all time from from Robert De Niro uh, at his absolute um, best and Scorsese at his absolute best. And it's actually my favourite film. And I know people go, it's very hard to say your favourite film. For me, it actually isn't. It's, one, it's immediately when I'm asked. I just, I think, I think of Rage and Bull. I watch it probably about once or twice a year. And I actually watch it for inspiration as a filmmaker because it's just what it makes me feel throughout and the journey you go with this character. And actually near the end, is one of the most beautiful scenes that no one really ever talks about. It's a simple scene 
where um, De Niro now has essentially spiritually he's dead, he's overweight, he's he has this new girlfriend on his side, he's smoking a cigar and he's drunk and he bumps into Joe Pesci, his brother, and he's falling out and he follows him into the car park and he's just saying, look, I love you, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And it's it's just way too late, you know? And Pesci just agrees with him and you kind of know that, you know, it's he's just going along with him. And it's and it's and now I think you have the feeling like, I have the feeling like he, he he is ready for change in a way now. But I mean, he's just no one's willing to give him a chance now, you know. So uh, yeah, man, there's just so much so much memorable stuff. And actually, if you watch it with an audience, which I've done a number of times, you realise how funny the film is in a very dark yeah. way. It's very very funny. You do not realise that watching alone it's a completely different experience. I watched it in the IFI, and it was like you were watching a comedy. And then I watched it in the BFI in, in London when I was over there as well. Uh, and it was the same sort of experience. And interesting as well, it, you, you want the Cathy Moynihan character. She never really did anything after that. Um, and it's just, it, it goes to show the power of Scorsese as a director. Very much like Sharon Stone in Casino gives a great performance and did nothing else for the rest of, the, rest of their careers. He was great at just bringing these performances out in people. I think there was no one better than him, you know? There's also that you know the the on the waterfront that I could have been a contender scene. Um, yeah. I noticed in King of the Travelers, you kind of had your own version of that. Was that something you wanted to do because you were a fan of the film, or did you you know did you want to do the wanking in the cinema thing? And this Mark O'Connor had to rein you in. No, no, that, that was that was Mark. I didn't write that script. Yeah. That was Mark. Like, and I was like, Mark, this is just you know, this is the on the waterfront scene essentially. Like. And he's like, yeah, I got inspiration for that. I said, okay, cool. And like, I On the Waterfront is one of my favorite films. And actually, I was very uh, close to saying On the Waterfront. And I just said no because it's just such a popular one everybody chooses. Um, and um, Brando and that is fucking uh, unbelievable, electric, and all the improv you've done on that. But um, but yeah, no, I, I, that was just Mark. So blame Mark for that. <laughs> You said that obviously boxing, you you picked up a couple of junior titles when you were younger. And you were also, I don't know if this still is on the table, you were making a film of Joe Egan, who was, you know, one of Mike Tyson's main sparring partners. Is that still in the works? Yeah, it's still in the works, man. You know, these things with films, they're going up and down roller coasters, then the COVID thing comes in. And it's, it's, a, it's, um, look, there's, I think there's a great story within the Joe Egan world. It's what story needs to be told. And I suppose that's why I kind of took a different view as to what, a different view maybe than the producer at the time or director at the time who has now gone left the project because I didn't think he was capable of directing it, that's being honest. Um, but right. I, 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 took, I took a different view. I just thought there was a different story to tell. So we're kind of still kind of in that stage now. And I'm, I'm open to doing it. I mean, I'm fucking, I'm meant to play him, man, in a way because, I mean, we grew up just five miles from each other. We both have this sort of English-Irish identity crisis thing going on. I mean, we both are the same height, we have the same size hand, same size feet, we look like each other, um, and uh, same kind of build, uh, similar boxing records, you know what I mean? Like, so there's a lot of stuff, um, there's a lot of stuff going on there, and, and you know, he, he got in a bit of trouble, and I, I got in a little bit of that myself at one point in time, so there's an awful, lot of, an awful lot of similarities between us, I don't think there's anybody else who could play him, so, I mean, once this crisis is going down, we'll see what happens after that, you know? Are you familiar with the, the Jake LaMotta, Joe Egan crossover? Jake LaMotta, Joe Egan? Yeah, well, Jake LaMotta, after Joe Egan, um, Joe Egan beat the American world champion. I think it was in 79 or something in America. He met uh, Jake LaMotta. Jake LaMotta came over to him. I think it was when he was going into the ambulance or something like that. 
Yeah, he fought Bruce Elden. Bruce Elden actually is the guy Tyson fought the night Tupac yeah. was shot. And Joe had to go to hospital after an ambulance. And as the ambulance yeah. is pulling in, he's told, hang on, stop. There's a, there's a VIP who needs to go in ahead of you. Yeah. It turns out the VIP is Jake LaMotta, who had been watching his fight, got too animated, fell down the steps and broke his ribs. So <laughs> Joe, Joe Egan has done what Sugar Ray couldn't, and he managed to put Jake LaMotta down. <laughs> Yeah, and Jake Lamotta was Joe Egan's hero. Like that was he was number one hero because it was his father's favorite boxer, and of course his father was the fellow that got him into the fighting. You know, uh, the next film on your list, my name is Joe, uh, which is so Peter Mullen plays a, a recovering alcoholic, and he kind of finds solace in a, in a relationship with a community health worker. What, this film, I, this is the one I hadn't seen now since I think it was '98 when it came out. I remember it was the Pierre Mullen won Best Actor at Cannes. It was the same year John Borman won for Best Director for The General. And watching it now, it's just, it's. I think it's one of the most unappreciated Ken Loach films. Like I'd forgot how kind of just all encompassing that film is, and it's one now it's kind of really stuck with me since I, I rewatched it when you gave me that list. So, what is it about this one that really resonates with you? The opening monologue alone is just powerful uh, and you you see um Peter Mullen's face who has one of the greatest faces in cinema history and if there's actually a, if there was a career out there I'd love to model myself off and I could be so bold to say it would be Peter Mullen I just love what he's done in his career he's never had a bad note uh he's a writer director like he made the Magdalene sisters wasn't it Magdalene, uh, yeah. he directed that yeah I mean and he uh, that film he did uh, Ned's about um essentially about his childhood and that and he's actually always doing very, like very ballsy roles where he just goes to the max with something, you know. Um, and that film, man, it just always gets me because it's like it's Ken Loach sort of at his least preachiest. And what I mean by that is instead of uh, driving the story with events and the bigger overarching kind of let's fight the system, the system hates us kind of thing. And which I agree with, but not politically, but all of that stuff. But sometimes there's, that's a hit and miss with Ken Loach. But with this, this is a really character-driven film. And, uh, you know, it's not, we're not constantly being told about the big bad guy. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. uh, like the personal story brings you on that journey where you see the, the societal ramifications. You see the, 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 the despair you know what I mean? Um, so that and it's this, and again, you can relate to it. It's like it's in Glasgow, in around, in around or outside of Glasgow, similar kind of area where I come from, and uh, the whole world kind of feels familiar. And I like to see worlds that feel familiar to me on screen. I don't like to be always alienated. I like to kind of relate to these characters, and and then he's a lovely relationship with his friend in it, who gives him a, a tenor to go bowling with your one, and he has a really lovely relationship with this woman, and there's a beautiful scene where he confesses the badness and all that, but you see the tenderness and she forgives him. And this stuff is just real. And the thing about Ken Loach, like going back to Rage and Bull, there's a lot of metaphorical stuff going on and a lot of subtext. And, you know, Scorsese's characters are usually telling you what's not on their mind, whereas Loach's characters are usually telling you exactly what's on their mind. And it's just the bread and butter shit. But it, when it's done and executed right, um, it's brilliant. And again, he has this past and he has this kind of shadow that he can't, contain and he's fighting this fucking shadow and we see near the end i mean that scene where the young that comes into him i mean uh, peter mullen looks like the fucking devil in that scene and you can just see it in his fucking eyes man and he's scary man he's scary uh, and i just i i get excited by that and then the ending is just absolutely uh-huh. typical in the ken loach way but tragic and powerful and you're going i'm not going to forget this film 
And actually, I was close to saying this or Sweet 16, which is another one I love. Yeah. Again, Loach goes the more character-driven route, and we get the societal effect from that, which is usually more powerful. And you get and that young fellow, oh, I forget his name. He's now a, a, a veteran actor, but he never acted before in his life. And 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 he done it. So I was very close. They're very similar films. So it's kind of one or the other. But uh, my name is Joe. For anybody who hasn't seen it, and again, the people I know that know Ken Loach films, I might I heard of that, and they never really seen it. I'm like, you never seen my name is Joe. Like, uh, it, like even going through that, going through his list of his films, like it never appears in the top of that. And this this no. is one I, a friend of mine I'd recommend it to it as well. And we've been kind of going back and forth. This is the one that really stuck with me. Like you said, how he he confesses why he has you know given up the drink, and it's one of those that you're just like it's any other film you know Conair was the one that kind of sprang to mind you know where you find out why he's gone away and it's just like yeah, yeah well that's how you were being a hero this is like that is something that you could conceivably never forgive that character for and that could change the whole film and you're kind of back and forth he's like well he wants to change but he has this in yeah. the back and I, I really like that it was so it wasn't black and white there was a, a very much shades of grey in that and and there was just and there was just the right kind of conflict that made you wonder what the fuck is going on. I'm going to go on this ride with this fella, but it's the humanity of Peter Mullen. You can see it in him, you know, you can see his humanity and you're going, ah, fuck, I want him to succeed, but you're getting this pain in the stomach knowing that you're watching the Ken Loach film and you're going, what's going to happen here, you know? I think he, Ken Loach films, it's similar to what you said with the Scorsese ones. It's the humour in it as well. I think because him and Scorsese have kind of lived that world, there was that kind of, you know, you'd see those kitchen sink, you know, ITV dramas where everything is dour and depressed and it's made by these public school boys who have no concept of that world so they don't get like people aren't just sitting around being depressed all the time you want to oh. you know you want to find humor in this thing it's a very irish and a very scottish thing as well in this case oh it's a very gaelic celtic thing absolutely man i mean i was only having this conversation yesterday with jimmy smallhorn jimmy smallhorn played dara murphy in in carver gangsters and kill me and he played git and love hate but actually jimmy smallhorn was the first irish filmmaker to have a a film premiere in the Sundance Film Festival back in 1997 and it won an award Jimmy Smallhorn is from Ballyfermot and we were talking about this when, when these upper class people make stories about working class people it's all this misery when no there's there's so much uh, comedy and there's sense of humour in these people they deal with this stuff through their sense of humour and you see that in all the loads films you see it in that sequence with the with the football and it's just hilarious and all the lads are playing football and uh, and and again just even these all these addicts who are going i mean if you notice well it's i think this stuff is hilarious and you need a bit of it you need a bit of that up you know upbeat stuff going on you need a sense of you but that's how we deal with it and again it's a very irish thing the the last film on your list now i have to thank you for this i haven't watched this in years i had an absolute blast watching this angels with dirty faces james cagney and humphrey bogart just a, a stone classic or brian as well of course and weirdly the comparison i kept having watching this maybe because it's, it's actually the last film i seen in the cinema was broken law where you have these you know essentially brothers essentially from the wrong side of the track and broken lives you have the the guard and the criminal in this you have you know jimmy cagney is the the gangster and the priest then who are you know best friends and the kind of the the, the push and pull between the two of them is that you know it's fairly lofty but was that something that when you were making broken law with paddy slayer that this was a film that you know this is the kind of basis we're going for actually no man because like <laughs> with broken law i i just focusing on my character i mean that character in broken law i got to have fun with. I never even thought about the brother scenario and the two of them were like brothers and I don't even have them sort of conversations with directors either about you know what it's going to be like or whatever uh, I'm just going you know what what's my 
and what how much freedom do I have? And I'm gonna I'm gonna go mental basically, and you just have to pull the reins in. So <clears throat> that was kind of my relationship with Paddy, and Paddy just allows you to go mental, which is great fun. And um, but with this film, man, this is a film that that, that again sticks with me, man, for years and years since I was a kid, because I used to watch these films at seven and eight and nine, um, the, the James Cagney films and the, the Scorsese films. I watched a lot of John Ford's, a lot, a lot of John Wayne's, their collaborations. These were the sort of films I grew up loving, and they're still now kind of my favourite films. Yeah, man, this is like an age-old tale of kind of morality, and, and, and you know, again, like the, like the brother sort of scenario, and they're going down different routes in life, and one gets saved and one doesn't. And I mean, I just love James Cagney, man. If you compare him to like the Nero and, and, and the generation after Brando and that, uh, when realism was brought to it and Stanislavski and all that, I mean, he's so, so over the top. But man, he he manages to make it still real and believable. I mean, look at that, like, um, that fight scene in White Heat yeah. in the jail when he found that his mother is at the getting killed. And it's so over the top, but it's just brilliant. And and it's and it's like it's it's like it's like he's really punching people, and it's crazy. But he just has this magnetic force, man. Like I put James Cagney down as one of the greatest actors of all time, absolutely. And because he's so many films as well that I love. Um, but yeah, so in and in this film, I just loved I love that old dialogue. You know, what do you hear? What do you say? <laughs> and you know, like that's the way he spoke, and he brought a lot of that street uh, speech and dialogue to his films. You know, because he came from the street. Uh, and of course, Irish background, something he was very proud of as well. But he brought a lot of that. And yet today, if you see films that are remade back in those periods, they don't speak like that. That's why I love going back, because it's like you're going you're going through a time machine and, and you're in this world. Like, because it is, it's an artifact, you know, that film was made in 1938. And it's just crazy to see the way they speak and, and, and all the over the top kind of acting, which I kind of just love because it's very of that time. And uh, again, you see the young kids, the gang, idolize them because he's a gangster. Look at Carbo Gangsters. Look what that's about. I mean, there's only so many stories you can tell. What makes it different is the style in which you tell them. That's for me. That's what I believe anyway. But uh, again, look at Carbo Gangsters. It was all about, for me, growing up in Darndale and looking at the gangsters and respecting them because they were the most visible um, success story I could I could see. And again, look at that. Look at Angel with Dirty Faces. The young lad straight away idolize him and he's in the papers and it's the same thing and it doesn't change no matter what happens or where we go or how advanced we get. It's the same thing. We look up to these sort of these sort of men, these anti-heroes. We look up to them. <clears throat> and um, again, I talked about the opening scene of Rage and Bull being the best opening scene. I mean, the end of Angels with Dirty Faces for me is the greatest scene in cinema history. And it's so great because Pat O'Brien, his old friend, comes in. First of all, Pat O'Brien saves him from, from doing a, having a shootout and killing himself with, with all the police. And then he has to go and do the he has to go and get executed. And Pat O'Brien comes into him. And it's still these questions I'm asking myself. He comes into him and he asks him to, to go yellow, to cry, to roar, so that the kids back on the street wouldn't idolize him anymore. Okay, and he says, no, no, I won't go yellow, I won't go yellow. And I'm, I'm wondering, like, I still, I don't, like, I'm asking myself the question, is he telling him to go yellow because of that, but also tell him to go yellow because he knows he's afraid and it's like giving him permission? And, and does James Cagney's character go yellow for the kids or does he go yellow as well because he had the permission? Like, that's the sort of thing that I, I don't, that's the questions that I find interesting, you know? But nonetheless, the, nonetheless, it makes him a heroic character. And that shot, man, 
where he goes yellow and he screams and it's just his shadow doing it. It's like a monster. Oh, and it's just, that's the stuff of like cinema gold, man, that sticks with you forever, you know? I've always kind of had that, you know, did he do it for the, you know, did he do it for the kids? Or was he scared? I've never thought of it from the perspective that he was genuinely scared and Pat O'Brien was giving him that. That's a, a great perspective of a film I've seen, you know, hundreds of times and never actually thought well, of that. If, if it was a film, like, if there was a film that I could remake and act in, that'd be the film Angel with Dirty Faces because of that scene. And I think because the day, the way, you know, acting has changed and revolutionized, those little questions about the ending, you could deal with in a real nuanced way. And, uh, yeah, I I just think if, I'd love to. That, that's a film I've had a dream project to kind of remake. I'd love to play that that character, you know. And I love that he never. You've been asked about it a million times. Did you play it this way? And he always said no. I played it um, ambiguously. I don't want I don't want to give that answer. The film gives your own answer. I really like that he never, you know, hinted one way or another with yeah. it. Uh, you that's it as well. That's what, Sorry, go ahead. That's what I love about cinema is that we get to ask those questions. I don't necessarily want to know. It's the fact that I'm asking it and I'm curious. I mean, that's what makes this stuff compelling. And and I hate that as well when people ask, well, what about that? What does that mean? Well, what? And again, the only thing is, we're, we're kind of making everything um, uh, ambiguous. I mean, you get these sort of fellas that are fucking making a whole film like that. And they're... Then fucking a critic stands up and asks or something, oh, these were assassins, and they go, what did you think? I hate that fucking wanky shit as well, yeah. to be honest with you, like, um, because that's a lot of shite, and this arty-farty bollocks, because I'm, I'm, you know, coming from my background as well, I, I like a bit of practicality too, but um, that that scene was just perfection. You talked about kind of the authenticity of Cagney. I love the story where, you know, the dead-end kids in the film are actually these real-life kind of street toughs that they somehow ended up with a studio contract. They actually mugged Humphrey Bogart on the set and would kind of jump in and, like, you know, try and put you off your lines. And they tried it with, they tried it with Cagney. And Cagney just walks straight up, punches the kid in the face, and just keeps doing the scene. And there's, like, a great story in there when the producer's books about it. He goes, just walks up, punches them in the face, and just keeps going. I was like, that was just, the kids were just idolized them after that. <laughs> oh, there was no way, uh, there was no child protection agency back then. <laughs> well, Cagney, but again, man, Cagney was from the street. He was a street kid himself, and he took, he'd take no messing. And a very interesting character, man, because if you look in the films, you know, he's this really powerful, operatic type of um, actor, and he's and he's a great dancer as well. Of course, he was trained in dancing. But in real life, he was a he was a real recluse. Like he moved out to the countryside, bought a farm, and and never really done interviews. Very rarely, and and retired pretty young as well, um, which is which was mad. And came back, I think, once or twice after that. But I mean, he was a real, real recluse, you know. And what I, I he did a he did a film in Ireland. What was the name of it called? Uh, My grandfather loved the act. My grandfather was there watching the film get made. Devil, the 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 hand of the devil, or shake hands with the devil, shake, shake hands with the devil. The devil. Yeah, and he went back to America and he did a, an interview about Ireland. Then <laughs> he had really high high praise for Ireland. He was like, "They're the most beautiful people on earth. They're just so so beautiful." Uh, and he, all every Irish person was so beautiful. Like he had this. I think he had this old Ireland romantic view of Ireland. You know, like the the Americans Quiet go man. over. And, yeah, they call him. And mind you, one of my favorite films. But they bring over that romantic thing, and and they all want to come back. And I suppose they all want to see leprechauns and fairies, and uh, they get quite disappointed usually. If you kind of want to sum up how kind of like his appeal, like the pallbearers at his funeral was heavyweight boxing champion Floyd Patterson, Russian dancer ballet dancer Baryshnikov, and his eulogy was given by President Ronald Reagan. So he, he kind of covered all aspects of uh, of society there with that one. <laughs> 
Yeah, and man, the thing about him, actually, one of the tricks, I think, was he never really got too involved in politics, where you get a lot of actors get involved in it, and they take one side or another. And especially if you go, you think about it, man, in America, if you take a side politically, you're alienating half the audience over there. And that's yeah. your biggest audience, your biggest market. I mean, if you're going, I'm a staunch Democrat, or all the Republicans, they're essentially 50-50, and it just changes one way or another. It changes guard. He never heavily, although he had his political views, never really got not involved, not, and he was notorious for actually just mixing with all different types of people. But he stood out of the news a lot, and people had the image of what he was on screen uh, to deal with. So he was beloved by a lot of people. Um, Angels of Dirty Faces my name is Joe Raging Bull three absolutely fantastic films if you haven't seen them check them out and if you have definitely worth checking out again John Connors that was a fantastic list thank you so much for talking to me today thank you man thanks very much